Thank you all so much for leading us in worship. Um, you know, welcome to Memorial Baptist Church. And, um, you know, it's a place of peace. Place of peace, and, and uh, it's our joy to be with you this morning and to honor our King. You know, we, His people, have been redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, my, my prayer this morning is that you are abiding in Christ. That He is the vine and we are the branches and that we are abiding in Him each and every moment of each and every day. You know, this morning that we are loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, He is our source. God is our source. He's the spring of living water. He's the difference maker in every situation that we face. He's the one who makes the big difference in our relationships. That our relationships with one another could be God-honoring because He is the one who it's all about. See, if you're married this morning, I hope that you're loving your spouse well. You know, 1 first, first Peter 3, 7 says that if I'm not loving my, my wife and I'm not living with her with understanding, and if I'm not sh- showing her honor as a fellow beneficiary of the grace of life, that my prayers will be hindered. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. That when, when God makes the two one, it is an amazing thing that happens. And if you have children, may they experience from their earthly parent the unconditional love just as our Heavenly Father gives us in abundance. Like that. I'm getting a lot of feedback. Okay. I can do that. Well, we're not going to let the the enemy have the victory in that. You know, I I know that he doesn't want you to hear what I have to say this morning. Because it it may just be life-changing. It may be something that, that, that we can internalize. Before we look at our scripture text, I would like to lead us in a word of prayer. So if you would bow with me and let's pray together. Loving Father, I just want to lift up your people to you. I thank you, Father, for being in our presence today. And I thank you for how you love us. Father, it is our joy to worship you. It is our joy to abide in Jesus Christ. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just fill this place, that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts, and, Father, that you would show us exactly what you desire us to see and to internalize from the Scripture. Father, we are so blessed by you. And we're so thankful for you. 
I ask that you would guide our time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7, but um, I want to speak just a moment about confidence. You know, uh, many times after a great and hard-fought victory in sports or maybe on the battlefield um, or maybe even on the golf course, you know, human nature is that we think we can do it again. You know, sometimes a, a sports team wins a great victory, and so they, they, uh, they go out and they, they, they get a little bit overconfident, and, and then they ended up, you know, getting their tails kicked somehow, and, and they don't understand why. And, uh, you know, I remember playing one of the best rounds of golf I'd ever played a couple years ago. It was, it was phenomenal. I, I, I was unconscious. I was playing so well. You know, and, and um, the very next time I played golf, I played the lousiest round I've ever played. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, for some reason, I believed wholeheartedly that I could go out and play another excellent round of golf without putting in any more time. Folks, there's a, there's a huge lesson there. Because sometimes we think that we can win the spiritual victory day after day without putting in any more time. Confidence is a good thing. Overconfidence is not. You know, after the victory at Jericho, where the walls of Jericho fell, it was the Lord that won that battle. It was the Lord's doing. The battle belonged to him. But all of a sudden, the Israelites felt like they could take on the next city by themselves. And it's interesting because, you know, Israel was confident that she could win again. But in Joshua chapter 7, we see that Joshua sent several men to scout the territory just northwest of the city. And in verse 2 of chapter 7, it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and they spied out the land. And the report was good. These, these men came back and they, they, they said, You know what? We can, we can defeat this city too. We can take this city. The, the scouts were so sure of themselves that they told Joshua to send a smaller detail of troops to battle the situation. Look at verse 3. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Don't, do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. And when they did, when they sent two or 3,000 men up there to fight this city of Ai... What happened was, this, this, they, were, they were routed by a lesser opponent. <laughs> they thought they could handle it. Lord, we got this. We'll, we'll take it from here. And what happens? They got their tails kicked. They, they turned and fled from the men of Ai. I love this because it tells us that, that God is the one who fights the battle. We can't do it apart from him. And when we get routed by a lesser opponent, 
it tends to make us ask the question, why God? God, why is this happening to me? But just like the Israelites, maybe we haven't put in the time. Maybe we're thinking it's all about us. Maybe we're thinking we won the victory when it was actually our Lord and Savior who won the victory. You see, Joshua opened, he openly questioned why God had let Israel lose what Joshua thought may be an easy win. Sometimes that's the way it is, you know, in life we, we think those, we, we fight hard in those big battles and, and we're able to be victorious in some of those big battles. And then when the little battle comes, we think we're going to be victorious and, and we, we aren't. And we cry out to God and we say, why? Why God? But you know, God told Joshua the truth about their loss. Look in verse 11. This is what uh, verse 10 says. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Verse 11, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Wow. God reveals to Joshua the truth about their loss. You know, from the description of the story, you might think that everyone in Israel was a co-conspirator. Because he says, Israel has sinned. But only one man's sin was the reason for God's dissatisfaction with Israel. This is, this is hugely important. See, this man's name was Achan. Verse 1 tells us, it says, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully, unfaithfully, in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. He took some of those things. When something was under the ban, it means that it was dedicated to the Lord. It means that that belongs to the Lord, that, that, that that's not for you, that's for the Lord. It's dedicated to the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. And basically what he did is he took some of the things that were supposed to be holy unto the Lord. See, I believe with all my heart that God knows what belongs to him. <laughs> and he's jealous for what belongs to him. And these items belonged to the Lord. They were supposed to be under the ban. And this man, Achan, took them for himself. He acted unfaithfully toward the Lord. Sometimes we don't think it's a big deal when we act unfaithfully towards the Lord. This testimony stands before us today that it is a big deal when we act unfaithfully toward the Lord See, he was unfaithful in the devoted things. And he took a few souvenirs, if you will, from Jericho. 
I mean, it goes into detail. It tells us exactly what those are. Look in verse 20 and 21, chapter 7. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. Notice the verbs here. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. See, Achan's sin gives us, gives us three life lessons concerning the sin in our lives. You may want to write these down. It's very important stuff here because sin, our disobedience, anything that we say, think or do that is not pleasing to God, our sin is a big deal with God. You may not think it's a big deal when you sin, but with God, it's a big deal. It is a big deal when we sin. The number one thing I want to point out is that our sin is self-inflicted. Our sin is self-inflicted. I mean, when he got caught, Achan gave a public account of what he had done. In front of all of Israel, he has given testimony. He says, this is what I did. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. No one forced him to. No one had a sword to his head. No one, no one was, was, was making him do these things. He did these on his own. He had conspired. He had lied. He had stolen. He had coveted that which was not his. The problem is he did that to the Lord. He made excuses. He tried to lie and, and hide his deeds. But, but here's what happens. It gets made public. The light comes and is shed upon the sin, the darkness. And he confesses and he says, I saw. Oh, how our sins begin with what we see. I saw. I saw. I coveted. I took. They were concealed. See, from Adam and Eve, all the way back to the beginning, until now, the conspiracies that we plot, the lies that we tell, the desires that we have that separate us from God, always, always, always surface. They always come to the forefront. The lies that we tell, the conspiracies, the desires we have. Numbers 32, 23 says, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. It comes to light eventually. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That whatever it is that we're about, that's what's going to bear fruit in our lives. Romans 2, 5 and 6 says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. You see, it all comes to light eventually. You might be able to fool some of the people and you might be able to fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God. He sees it all. He's watching all of it. And when that time comes, like Achan, we and we alone will be to blame. We won't have somebody else. You you can't say, well, Brother Ridge made me do it. Somebody else made me do it. Well, I sinned because of them. No, we're going to stand by ourselves before the Lord. And we're going to have to give an account for everything that we've done. Scripture tells us that. See, sin happens when we let our wants get ahead of our needs. Achan had a want. And he saw the opportunity to take a nice-looking robe, a nice mantle from Shinar. I would imagine it was a pretty fancy robe. Oh, if I had that robe and that silver and that gold... Oh, man, I could do a lot with that. You see, when our wants get ahead of our needs and we end up selling our souls at the expense of our relationship to God. This is the problem. We don't take our relationship to God seriously. We think we can live any old way we want and that If I ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive me. Folks, that's cheap grace. We cheapen what Jesus did on the cross when we treat God in that way. I mean, listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9. It says, "Two two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I may not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Give us what we need. Keep lies and deception from us. Give us what we need so that, that we don't come, become fat and say, who is the Lord? Or so that we don't be in want and have to steal and give our Lord a bad name. You see, we need humility. We need humility. The humility... <laughs> To constantly be repenting of wanting to be noticed. I mean, isn't that what Achan wanted? Man, if I get that nice robe, if I get that, if I get that extra silver, if I get that bar of gold, man, I could, I could live a little high on the hog. I could, I could make my friends think that, man, I've arrived. He wants to be noticed. He wants to be set apart. He wants to be wealthy. He wants people to respect him in that way. And so he coveted and he took that which wasn't his, 
that belong to the Lord. Folks, when we don't give back what God has blessed us with, and we hold it and we consume it on our own lusts, we're guilty of the same thing that Achan is guilty of. When we don't give as God has given to us, when we don't give with liberality and abundance, when we hoard it back and we say, well, I could, I could buy me a new car. I could do this with this. I could, I could spend this on myself. When our needs have already been met, it's those wants that get us into trouble. It's not because he didn't notice. He didn't know, excuse me. I mean, if you look back at Joshua 6.18, Joshua had told all of the people, he said, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. Achan had been warned. Joshua told the people, don't keep anything from the ban. Those things that belong to the Lord, give to the Lord. And don't hold on to it for yourself. He knew that, he heard that, he understood that, but he did it anyway. This is a big problem. We need humility. The humility to constantly be repenting of the want to be noticed. Of stealing God's fame. Of blaspheming His great name. You know, in James, James 1, verse 14, says, But each one is tempted... When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You see, it's the lust of the eyes. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the pride of life. Those are the ways that we are tempted. That's how the enemy gets to us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Our sin is self-inflicted. Secondly, I want to say this. Our sin affects the ones we love. See, Achan's sin affected the people he loved the most. His family, his entire family, everything that he owned... All of the, the, the livestock, whatever it was, was put to death with him. Everything that was precious to him was put to death. And folks, we need to understand this truth. Our sin affects the ones we love. Let me just set this on the table, men. The lust... An addiction to pornography in this nation affects the ones we love. Do you realize that if you took the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, Major League Baseball, wrapped them all up in the same revenue pool, that pornography 
outdistance all of those in revenue. Our nation is eat up with it. And we wonder why we have issues. It's because our sin affects those we love. It's, it's tearing us apart. See, I've seen many people who bore the psychological and the emotional and the social and the moral scars from a childhood marked with parental failure. Parents who didn't do their job. Or they're marked with neglect or carelessness. Or maybe it's religious abandonment where they just don't even want to know God. They just say, you know what, we're not going to go to church. We're not going to get to know God. We're not going to spend time with Him. We're not going to do any of that. It's religious abandonment. Or maybe it's just personal narcissism where it's all about them. This is what God's Word says in Exodus 20, verse 5. It's talking about idols, not making any idols and having them before God it says, for you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I mean, you think about this. You know, Gary Smalley and John Trent in their book, The Blessing, says such people can spend years struggling to free themselves from their past. And as a result, cannot enjoy a commitment relationship in the present. If hurtful patterns from the past are not broken, they are likely to repeat themselves in the next generation. Unfortunately, this is where the terrible truth found in Exodus 25 comes true. A home where the iniquity of the fathers is passed down to the third and fourth generation. Listen very carefully. Each one of us is accountable to God for ourselves. You're not where you are and you will not be condemned by what your your parents did or your grandparents or somebody else did. You will be condemned for what you have done. I will be condemned for what I have done. But think about it in these terms. It's kind of like a river. If you go back up to the source of that river, If we can help people get help at the source, then everything downstream is affected by that. If we can help people understand who Jesus is at the source, at the very core of their being, it's going to affect every part of their their life. Their marriage, their home, their work, their church, all of it. But folks, we got to get it right at the source. And that's what we haven't done a good job doing. We think that if somehow we can just go through the motions that everything will be fine. It doesn't work that way. There has to be a relationship with Almighty God for each one of us. Our sin is self-inflicted and our sin affects the ones that we love. 
The third thing I want to share with you this morning is that our sin also affects the church. I mean, we're called to live in community. We're called to live in community and to be a Christian is to live in community with other believers. I mean, that's what the church is. It's a, it's a community of Christ's followers. We are following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that Israel, in this passage, is collectively held accountable for Achan's wrongdoing. 36 of their men lost their lives at that battle of Ai because Achan sinned. Do not sit here this morning and think that your sin does not affect this church body because it does. It absolutely does. I mean, the loss at I was the result of one person breaking the covenant that God had made with everyone. See, we've grown up with the idea that we can do whatever we want as long as no one else gets hurt. No harm, no foul. You know, we can live however we want as long as no one else gets hurt. And here's the problem. We think that our sin doesn't affect anyone else other than the Lord. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We think that we can do whatever we want to do in our little corner of the world behind closed doors. We can do this and it doesn't affect anyone except my relationship with the Lord. But what does that look like? That means our relationship with the Lord isn't what it needs to be. As if it's okay to offend Almighty God. As if, well, nobody here around me got hurt, so I guess I'm okay with this. But it it has to do with our relationship to Almighty God. We don't mind offending God as long as nobody else gets hurt. That's sick. He's the one who gave his life for us. He gave his son who died on Calvary a horrible death so that we could be redeemed. And yet we, the only person we care about not, offend, uh, not offending, it, it, the only person we care about offending is him. And to me, that, that's, that's not right. The one who loves us the most, the one who loves us unconditional, and we're okay as long as eh, it's just this relationship that gets hurt. Because you know what? I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and he's going to forgive me. Everything we do affects our relationship with others and our relationship with God. See, our relationship with God, more specifically, I want to say your relationship with God has a dramatic impact on what does or does not happen in the church. Think about it. If every week we have to come to a place of repentance Is that a bad thing if our relationship with God is is restored and on fire and where it needs to be? But somehow we we think, you know what, Um, I'm okay 
that my relationship with God is lukewarm. That it's not anything that I've investing time with this week. Folks, it should not be that way. Our sin affects the victories that God has in mind for our church. Your sin, my sin, affects the victories that God wants to place in this church. And i got to tell you, many times we're getting our tails kicked. Which tells me, like Joshua, something ain't right. There's a problem. We don't want to talk about it. Because we don't want anybody thinking that i got sin in my life. Folks, this is where that happens. This is the place. This is the time. I mean, in Scripture, something has to die. Think about this. In God's reply to Joshua's cry, God tells him in verse 13, He says, rise up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In other words, we got to come clean with God. we got to, those things we've coveted, those things we've taken... You want to know why the believers are taking it on the chin in America? Right here. There's things under the ban that we've taken possession of, that we've coveted, that we've stolen from Almighty God. And we're, unlike Achan, we're not willing to admit it. Because we know that something would have to die. You know, we may not easily understand Joshua's method of compliance here. Verse 24 and 20, uh, through 26 says this. It says, Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor until this day. The Valley of Trouble. You see, sin is like cancer. And when it goes unchecked, it takes over every area. In every case where we are caught in sin, we are told that something has to die. I mean, Jesus gave his lifeblood for our sin. Like the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. And so here's the good news. There is hope. There is hope. Romans 5, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5 says this. It says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Notice the progression. First comes the tribulation. Then because of the tribulation, the trials and tribulations, we have perseverance. And because of that perseverance, that grit, we have proven character. And because of that proven character, we have hope. I love that. You know, in Joshua 20, uh, uh, verse 24, it talks about the valley of Achor. And really, the, the word Achor means trouble. Why have you brought trouble on Israel? Well, we're going to bring you trouble. And he takes Achan and his family out, the, 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 the Israelites do. But this expression, valley of Achor, probably became proverbial in that means that which caused trouble. But now watch this. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, It's talking about Israel being restored. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Folks, God uses our trouble. Those trying times in our lives to open to us a door of hope. What we see as trouble, what we see as as crying out and saying, God, why? He opens a door of hope for us so that we can be forever changed, so that we can be His, His sons and daughters, so that we can be in relationship with Him. I mean, God will use your trouble to bring about an entryway of hope toward hope if we will let him. But understand this. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're all sinners. Each and every one of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. You know, others have been healed from the same sins that we encounter today. The things that we go through each and every day. And the fact is, is we can change. We can change. And we can grow. We can show growth. And that can occur in our lives. But in order to do that, we have to take our eyes off of the crisis that is going on all around us, and we have to put our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. See, 
That's what we need to do in times like this. When our nation is acting foolishly, we need to put our eyes on Jesus Christ. When we don't know the way, when trouble comes our way, we need to put our eyes on Jesus Christ. We need to take it off of where we are and what's going on around us and put it on Him. We have to keep on believing. Keep on trusting in our Lord. I mean, you are a son and a daughter of the Almighty, of our Heavenly Father. And you are worthy. You are worthy of care. He loves us. He cares about us. He cares about the things that that we are going through. Christ died for each one of us. He gave His life for us. You are worthy as a son and a daughter of God. And the real question for you today is this. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because if so, then you need to to trust in Jesus and not grow weary. Sometimes the road is hard. I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But our nation is taking the path of least resistance. That doesn't mean we as God's people should do the same. If you want to get well, then trust in Jesus and don't grow weary. I mean, Jesus knows right where we are. He knows right where you are and what you're dealing with today. My encouragement to you is trust Him for whatever it is. I mean, to win the victories God has prepared for you, in order for us to stand against the enemy and to see the church move forward and grow, we must put to death the sins that lie between us and God between us and our Father so that He will fight the battle and bring about the victory. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how Your Word challenges us. Father, I'm thankful that You reach out to us in Your Word. Father, it's not a, an old book that is not relevant. Father, Your Word has never been more relevant than it is today. Father, it's never spoken more truth than it does in the darkness of the world around us. Father, and whether the whole world goes out and doesn't want anything to do with You, I want You to know that I'm Your man. That I will serve You to the end. Father, I recognize there are times when we stand alone. But God, I know that you also, just like Scripture says, you've got 7,000 that have never bowed the knee to Baal. Father, 
we need to hear from some of them in our land today. But God, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in each one of our lives. Father, that your Holy Spirit would just examine our hearts. Father, maybe we've never confessed you as our Savior. Father, I pray that today we would do that. Father, maybe we've not been obedient to you. I pray that today we would be obedient to you. Father, I ask that you would just draw us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that in this time of response, that you would give us the courage to respond to you. Father, that that we would desire to abide in you, knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. Father, I pray for a great awakening. I pray for a revival. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts. And God, that today, your people would commit themselves to you fresh and new. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who died for us. Holy Spirit, have your way in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.